Al-Jazeera Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Malika. I'm handing the host mic this week to my colleague Natasha Del Toro. I'll be back next week. Enjoy. On February 28th, a passenger train collided head-on with a cargo train in central Greece, leaving 57 people dead. Both trains were traveling at more than 100 kilometers per hour. Some passengers were reportedly thrown through the train's windows on impact. Others smashed through the glass to escape. Many among the victims were students, some heading back to university, others returning home from a long holiday weekend. The impact resulted in temperatures so hot, some of the bodies could only be identified by DNA testing. What we saw was without precedent. Burned remains, a stench in the air, the smell of burning plastic, shapeless sheet metal, fire, people in pain. It was a living hell. It still is. So how did two trains speeding on the same rail go unnoticed? That's the question for many voters going into Greece's general election on May 21st. The collision alongside a rocky economy and scandals, including government wiretapping, has left the ruling New Democracy Party with some big challenges ahead of the vote. As for the train crash, it struck a chord with young people, and now many will soon be heading to the polls for the first time. But how decisive will their vote be? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm speaking with Maura Lavelle, who's been reporting from Athens for the past seven years. So Maura, we're just a few days from the election, as you know. Paint a picture for us. What is it like on the ground right now? I would say the general atmosphere in Athens is one of uncertainty. Um, People don't have high expectations, and there's this prevailing sense of frustration and resignation when I talk to people. In the squares of central Athens where I live, there are these kiosks from the political parties, both big and small, where people can learn about the party platforms, and every bus station billboard is filled with a campaign poster. But there aren't the sort of massive pre-election rallies I've seen in previous years, and I get the sense people are feeling disaffected. Hmm. And what can you tell us about the party that's currently in power, New Democracy? So New Democracy is a center-right party. It's one of the stalwart parties that's been in power in Greece on and off since the dictatorship entered in 1974. The current prime minister is Kyriakos Mitsotakis. We want to drive uh, a real reform agenda for uh, for the country that is uh, ambitious, uh, very bold and very, very detailed. In the last four years, New Democracy and Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis have focused on rebuilding the economy after years of crisis, enticing foreign investments, cutting corporate taxes, pushing the country's privatization program. And to an extent, it has worked. Unemployment has fallen, the GDP has risen, and Greece has exited the surveillance mechanisms that were imposed by its creditors after the economic crisis and the following bailouts. One of the most serious economic dramas 
in EU history, the Greek debt crisis. After many billions in financial aid and years of austerity demanded by creditors like the EU and the IMF, Greece is now supposed to take its economic destiny into its own hands again. But these improvements don't really mean economic stability for the average Greek. The Greek Statistical Authority, for example, found one in four citizens are at risk of poverty or social exclusion. So they came back into power right before the pandemic, right? And Correct. And people thought they did a good job with that. Is, is that right? Yes, it was a complicated moment with the pandemic because at the beginning of the pandemic, Greece and New Democracy knew that should the hospitals become overburdened, they couldn't handle it. Years of austerity had really bankrupt the healthcare system. After a decade of economic crisis, their hospitals were in no shape to handle the tidal wave of death and disease that struck Italy and Spain. So here, there was no debate. The government acted hard and fast. Greece had a very strict lockdown, which in the beginning of the pandemic worked quite well, and people were very positive about it. But in the year or so, as the COVID pandemic continued, the lockdown continued, and this became a point of friction eventually. It's hard to say because there is no average Greek, but I do know many people that I spoke to that went from the position of they're doing what they have to, to the position of these lockdown measures are too harsh and too extreme. Now, New Democracy has seen some pretty dramatic scandals that have made waves across the country. Even just last week, there was a political debate that brought up a few of them. One was about wiretapping. So you had on the stage, you had both the New Democracy Prime Minister, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, and another opposition candidate who the National Intelligence Service had actually wiretapped. Can you tell us what happened there? The wiretapping scandal was a big discussion in the recent televised debate, and it was a bit awkward and surreal. In the debate, you had Prime Minister Mitsotakis admitting that his administration had wiretapped another candidate sitting right next to him. Andrulakis, who's the leader of the center-left political party PASOK, then sort of obliquely stated that someone should go to prison for this spying, though stopped short of pointing his finger at the prime minister. Who was sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And this scandal, it was a story that was pieced together bit by bit by journalists over the past year. A spyware scandal rocking Greece and putting extreme pressure on the Greek government. But what we now know is the new democracy government was spying on journalists and opposition politicians through the National Intelligence Service. There is also evidence that the government used the illegal surveillance software Predator. The Greek National Intelligence Service spied on one MEP and one journalist, allegedly using the malware Predator. This is something they've repeatedly denied. But the story, it took over headlines for months. And there were parliamentary investigations in Greece and in the European Parliament. There was an outcry from journalists. Many people at the time called for Mitsotakis to resign. He did not. And so the debate was a a moment of this all coming together. 
Another major scandal, of course, is the tragic collision of a freight train and a passenger train, which resulted in the deaths of 57 people, many of whom were students. Can you describe what what happened there and why people see this as a failure on the government's part? So in the last hours of February this year, a passenger train collided head-on with a freight train outside the village of Tempe. And it was the deadliest crash the country has ever seen. Almost immediately, there was this very palpable anguish. And then as people began to ask why it happened, it turned to rage. A teacher in Athens shared her concerns in the aftermath of the collision. They should stop looking at the profits and start looking at the lives of people, our children. This must never happen again. We shouldn't be afraid to put our children on our country's metro and trains. What came out was that the trains collided because the remote-controlled operation and signaling systems, which protect the trains from colliding, simply do not work on this portion of the rail line. And it became clear that years of systemic neglect and mismanagement had led to this situation and that there were many warnings that a major accident was going to happen. And why was there this neglect? So, like many public services in Greece, the train service for years had oversized advertising budgets and unqualified people were placed in positions due to political reasons. But most importantly, there was a severe lack of investment. And this became worse during the economic crisis and under austerity. And in 2017, the train service was privatized. Hellenic Train is the Hellenic Railways organization subsidiary that runs Greek passenger trains. It was sold to the Italian State Railways Group in 2017. To cut costs, the Italian management abolished route checking inspectors on trains. The Day-to-day operations were overseen by one private company and the infrastructure by another. It became very easy to pass the ball of blame and lack of investment and maintenance continued. And this is something that rail workers have been pointing to for years. In April of last year, the chairman of the body responsible for signaling resigned because of the problems. The trade union of railway workers had published a statement just before So when the crash happened, there was this feeling that the tragedy could and should have been avoided. And the government blamed the crash mainly on human error and deficiencies. Tell me about that. When the crash first happened, in the first days after, Mitsutakis had said that it was due mainly to human error. But this statement was pretty quickly walked back actually, by Mitsutakis, because the outcry was massive. There were two days of national strikes against it, and it was really seen as this national tragedy, and people were enraged. And he eventually issued an apology, which is pretty incredible. Our thoughts are, first and foremost, with the families of the victims, which is why I will repeat my public apology in the name of all those who have ruled the country for years, but above all personally. I therefore take responsibility. And we cannot, we don't want to, we must not hide behind a series of human errors. 
This all led to protests, especially from young people. Here's Aria, a student protesting in the aftermath of the train collision. They, they were uh, our future colleagues. They were students. Uh, we can't just stand and uh, let this pass by like nothing is happening because uh, this is the tip of the iceberg. Have you heard things from people that you've talked to similar to what we just heard the student Aria say? Yes, definitely. Almost everyone I talked to had this feeling of, that could have been me, it could have been my friend, it could have been my cousin. With many people I talked to, there's this feeling that the most basic guarantee that you will return home is something the government cannot promise. That the institutions in Greece are corrupt and mismanaged, and this is a failure that was placed on the shoulders not just of new democracy, but of the previous government, Syriza. I think one thing that stuck with me is there was a popular slogan that was repeated over and over after the crash that was, their profits shouldn't be prioritized over our lives. There's this very existential question about institutions in Greece and the investment in safety, the transparency of institutions, the corruption... This was really seen as a symbol or a distillation of so many of the problems facing Greeks and especially facing young people. And now, those young people are going to vote. What their choices are, after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day, with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Maura, this election is going to give 440,000 young Greeks who were not old enough to vote in the last general election a chance to vote this time around. For many Greek youth, their entire lifetimes have been marked by instability. There's a lot of job insecurity. Someone my age doesn't earn enough to pay their way and live with dignity. There isn't much opportunity. You had the refugee and economic crises, and then ultimately the EU bailout that led to the austerity measures that you all still see in Greece today. How has growing up in this climate impacted these young people who are going to be turning out to vote and their choices on Election Day? There's definitely a crisis of confidence. There is a study by this magazine, Eteron, that found that young people, over 80% of them, don't trust the political parties. Over 75% don't trust the government. And I, I see this in the people I talk to. I spoke to a young woman named Miranda earlier today, who was saying that she feels the economic situation in Greece just continues to spiral out of control. Miranda works as a psychologist, and she was saying she feels like her whole life is consumed by work, and it's still not enough to just reach the basics. Many people her age who have the ability have left Greece to work abroad. She wants to stay, but she feels there's no support from the government to make her life livable. So Miranda said she certainly won't vote new democracy. She would like to vote something more on the left, but none of those parties appeal to her either. And she said this indecision is stronger than she has felt in previous elections. 
and it is a common feeling amongst her friends and the people around her. Has this created an opening for other parties with the youth? I mean, who are the main players that we should know about? It's interesting. It's hard to tell at the moment. After the train crash, New Democracy's approval ratings fell and their position in the polls fell drastically. It's climbed up a bit since then. But at the moment, you have New Democracy leading the polls with around 36%. The left party, that was the previous government, is around 29%. And then there's the center-left party, which is around 10%. There are many smaller parties that are trailing in the polls. There's the Communist Party, a very far-right party, and a party called Mereiko Sipente, which is led by the former Minister of Finance, Yanis Varoufakis, that seem to be doing better in the polls than they have in recent years. But it's, it's hard to tell where the youth are willing to put their vote, and many of them remain undecided. Now, in the past, youth vote rates haven't been that high. Yes. So do you think that they're going to be a bigger force in this election? It's a very big question. Some polls indicate that a large percentage of youth intend to vote. And there seems to be an indication that the youth are looking for change and they want to see something different. But it's hard to say if with all of this frustration with the system and this feeling that none of the options are really speaking to them, if people will be inspired to vote as their political action. Mora, we focused on the number of youth votes, but also Greece is one of the oldest countries in Europe. It's safe to say that there is a generational divide. So yes, while people can turn out to vote, the question is, will their voices be heard? It's hard to say. We were speaking before about this feeling of frustration and disaffection. And I I don't think it's just in the youth. It's very pronounced in young people. But I've seen it in so many different parts of Greek society, people feel that the political system does not work for them. I think it it is an interesting moment because we're not sure if people will come out to vote. Greece does not have very high voting rates. And there's also an understanding that because no party is doing well enough in the polls at the moment to win the parliament, that there's likely to be a second round of elections in the summer. So I don't know if people feel their voices will be heard. The sense I get is not so much. Hmm. That's sad to think that people have lost faith in democratic institutions in Greece. I think one of the thorough lines is that people do want stability. And this is something that many of the parties are trying to tap into particularly new democracy. It's the slogan of their campaign is stability and progress and moving forward. And we will see if voters are convinced that they are the party to provide this. But I think it does speak to this question that we've been talking about, that not just young people, but Greeks for many years now 
have felt left behind and taken advantage of and unable to maintain a basic standard of living, basic level of freedom and independence. And it's something that is deeply desired. And that's The Take. We'll be back on Thursday. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Nagin Oliai with Khaled Sultan, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Malhotra, Miranda Lynn, and me, Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal. Adam Abugad and Munera Aldasari are our engagement producers. Alexander Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Nate Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.